another episode of City of Desert. I'm Father David Abernethy, and we're continuing our reading of the Philokalia, in particular uh, the volume entitled Writings on the Prayer of the Heart. And we've started reading St. Hezekiah of Jerusalem, his writings on sobriety and on unceasing prayer. And in this episode, we're going to be looking in particular on his emphasis on silence, silencing the thoughts and why that is so important, and how this is different for us in terms of our uh, experience of prayer. It's more of an apophatic approach uh, where we aren't engaged in the use of Im imagination or ideas, but rather seeking to silence the mind and the heart in order to more fully, uh, certainly list to listen to God and to be attentive to Him, but also to be more attentive to the thoughts, the temptations that would come upon us in order to pull us away from God. Uh, and so he'll be addressing this again in, in great detail. And he begins in paragraph 101 uh, on page 299, which we'll be looking at today, uh, with one of the rare references in the Philokalia to one of the sacraments. Uh, typically in the writings of the Fathers, uh, as they're speaking about the spiritual life, the sacramental life is uh, assumed that uh, this is understood, that there would be a participation, for example, in uh, the divine liturgy and the reception of the Holy Eucharist. And uh, here on, in paragraph 101, Hezekiah makes his first reference to, that, to this. He writes, Whenever we unworthy ones are thought worthy to be admitted, with fear and dread, to the divine and undefiled mysteries of Christ, our God and King. Then let us all the more show forth sobriety, watchfulness of mind, and strict attention, so that our sins and our small and great uncleannesses may be destroyed by the divine fire, that is, by the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. For when it enters into us, it straightway dries from our heart the spirits of wickedness, and it does away with our sins of the past, and the mind is left empty of the restless importunities of evil thoughts. If after this we guard the mind strictly and stand in the gate of our heart, each time we are again counted worthy, the holy secret divine body will more and more brighten the mind and make it shine like a star. It's a beautiful paragraph and a, a beautiful thought. Uh, some of the things that he makes uh, clear here, though, is that we are to seek to approach the uh, great mystery of the Eucharist with a kind of fear and trembling, that we are not to approach it lightly, but in every way to keep an even greater watch over our mind and our heart as we are preparing to receive the Lord. And he tells us that this reception of the Lord, then, is the ordinary means through which our sins are forgiven, that to enter into this radical communion with the Lord through the reception of the Holy Eucharist, 
purifies the mind and the heart of all sin. And so as we enter into the, the reception of the Holy Eucharist, we find ourselves standing in uh, a state of holiness, the holiness of the Lord. And so long as we maintain a kind of strictness in our minds, as we watch over our thoughts uh, with even greater force, we can come to then experience a kind of brightness within the mind and the heart that shines, he tells us, like a star. Uh, it's fortunate that we, we have this. I think we rarely, uh, within the Philokalia, here, as I mentioned, uh, any reference to the, the sacraments, but um, here in particular tells us that uh, the Eucharist is the most profound source of strength for us in the spiritual battle, as well as providing us the grace to uh, rise to an even greater intimacy uh, with God and purity of heart. St. Hezekiah then moves back very quickly to discuss prayer and sobriety, and in particular, the silencing of the thoughts that, as I mentioned, is common with apophatic prayer. In paragraph 102, he writes, Forgetfulness naturally extinguishes the guarding of the mind, as water extinguishes fire. But constant prayer to Jesus with unflagging sobriety finally evaporates forgetfulness from the heart. Prayer needs sobriety, just as a small lantern needs a candle, perhaps as a lantern needs windless calm to burn like a candle. And so it isn't enough for us simply to engage in prayer, that we have to have sobriety or watchfulness in order that the candle might not be blown out, that we have to have something that would protect the, 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 our prayer from uh, being led uh, by ideas and thoughts into temptations, that we don't want to open the mind and the heart to any spirit, but rather simply to the spirit of God. In paragraph 103, he begins to discuss the silencing of the thoughts. He writes, great care should be taken to preserve that which is precious. But for us, only one thing is truly precious, that which preserves us from all evil, both sensory and mental. And so the most precious thing for us in the spiritual life is to be able to preserve ourselves uh, from any sin and from any, uh, uh, any temptation that might come through us, uh, either through idea, our minds, or through our senses, through things that we might experience through the world around us. And this is guarding the mind with the invocation of Jesus Christ, that is always looking into the depths of our heart and keeping our thought constantly silent. I will say even more, we should strive to be empty even of thoughts which appear to come from the right, and in general of all thoughts, lest thieves are concealed behind them. But however painful the labor of patiently remaining in the heart, relief is nearby. And so what he's putting forward here, he admittedly states, is not an easy thing to do or to maintain, in fact, it can be very painful to keep such uh, a relentless watch upon our thoughts and not allow any thought, in fact, even if it seems to be a good one, to come into our mind. That there is a kind of rigor uh, involved in this, but also um, a sense of lack of consolation, that images, ideas, thoughts, 
uh, can be something that our minds are, are able to take hold of. Uh, but when we engage in this unceasing prayer that sets, a thought, sets aside the thoughts and, uh, and remains silent, it is as if we are simply resting in God uh, in and through our faith uh, with no, no thing, no idea to hold on to. That we must simply entrust ourselves to the grace of God. He continues along these lines in paragraph 104. He writes, A heart constantly guarded and not allowed to accept the forms, images, fantasies of dark and wicked spirits naturally gives birth to thoughts full of light. As coal engenders flame, still more the Lord will dwell in our heart since our holy baptism set alight our mental power of contemplation and make it burn like a wax candle. If he finds the air of our heart pure of the winds of evil and guarded by our mind. And so the grace of God, if it finds our minds and our hearts free from all wicked thoughts, will set the flame of his love uh, afire even more within us, set it ablaze within us and make it burn more hotly. And so the more that we are able to maintain this state of silence of mind and heart, the more our hearts will burn for love of the Lord. Again, he writes, we should always be turning the name of Jesus Christ round in the spaces of our heart as light circles around the skies before rain. And so we must allow the word of God to, to penetrate every part of our heart and the darkest recesses of our heart and our unconscious, the places even that we would seek to hide from our, ourselves and not be attentive to, that we are allowed to the, the power of the Lord's name to cleanse and purify us. This is well known by those who have spiritual experience in inner warfare. Let us conduct this mental war in the following order. The first thing is attention. Then when we notice a wicked thought draw near, let us wrathfully hurl a heartfelt curse at it. The third thing is to turn the heart to the invocation of Jesus Christ and pray him to disperse forthwith this phantom of the demons, lest the mind runs after this fantasy like a child uh, attracted to a skillful juggler. And so attention, curse, that we are to engage in uh, deliberate warfare against the thoughts, uh, to command them, as it were, to disperse and to leave us, and then to call on the name of, the, of Jesus in order to strengthen us in that battle, and so that the, the phantoms might be dispersed quickly. Let us compel ourselves to call, Lord Jesus Christ, let our throat be exhausted, lose its voice, but may our inner eyes never cease to look on nigh, waiting like David in hope for our Lord God. And so we are to cry out the Jesus prayer uh, to the point of losing our voice. So again, uh, Hezekiah makes it clear that this inner warfare is not an easy thing to engage in, that there is uh, an exercise uh, of will, uh, of the self, a kind of asceticism that is very costly and exhausting. And so we have to prepare ourselves uh, that the spiritual life is not going to be full of consolation. And in fact, uh, Hezekiah tells us uh, 
that it could be something of the opposite, that there is a constant strain that we have to be willing to undergo in order to maintain this kind of watchfulness of heart. In paragraph 107, Hezekiah goes on to allude to a parable in the scriptures in order to instruct us. He says, if we always remember the parable of the unjust judge, which our Lord gave for our instruction, showing that we must always pray and not give way to despair and act accordingly, we shall reap benefit and be avenged. And so if you remember, the parable is about uh, an elderly woman who seeks justice from uh, an unjust judge. And it's only by her persistence that he finally relents, uh, lest she strike him, and gives her her judgment. And uh, so we in the spiritual life are to act accordingly. That there are times that we might experience a kind of dejection or despair Uh, from the depth of this labor. We might know great fatigue or feel that we are being besieged by temptations. And uh, when we find ourselves struggling, we are to to bring this parable back to mind that uh, we are to constantly and perseveringly struggle like this old woman until the Lord hears our cry and comes to our aid. In paragraph 108, he continues, It is impossible for a man to look at the sun and the pupils of his eyes not glitter with light. So too a man who constantly penetrates into the air of the heart cannot but shine with light. Uh, It's an interesting image. I think uh, Hezekiah is telling us here that there is a kind of transformation that we begin to see in in the person who grows in holiness and grace through the practice of sobriety and unceasing prayer, that the eyes begin to glisten, as it were, with the holiness of God. This would be something akin to Moses coming off of the mountain with his face shining, having seen the Lord. And so it is true with those who have entered very deeply over the course of years and whose mind and hearts have been purified from sin that they begin to manifest something of the glory uh, of the Lord, uh, not only in their manner of acting and speaking, but also in their physical being. That There is a transformation that takes place that is noticeable to others. He continues, It is impossible to live our present life without food and drink. So too it is impossible for the soul to attain anything spiritual, and pleasing to God, or to be free of inner sin without guarding the mind and purity of heart, in other words, without sobriety. No matter how much a man strives to refrain from committing sins indeed through fear of future torment. And so even if we have a a healthy and, and clear fear of judgment, and understanding that, again, we will all have to stand before the judgment seat of God, and no matter how much we struggle, in the spiritual life through various forms of asceticism and the avoidance of sin. Without this sobriety, without this watchfulness of heart and the constant invocation of the name of Jesus, that we will eventually be vanquished in the spiritual battle. It's only through this inner struggle, this inner warfare, that true gain in the spiritual life can take place. And so he writes, still those who force themselves to refrain from committing sin and deed are also blessed before the Lord, the angels and men, since the violent take the kingdom of heaven 
by force. And so even in light of what he said, there is value, though, to uh, the ascetic life, that the violent take the kingdom of heaven by force. Uh, we do not enter the, the, the kingdom without scars, as it were, that we have to engage fully in the battle, and those who do through the ascetical life will also experience the fruit of that. And so it's the two combined that are necessary, as the ascetical life, but also the interior warfare. And finally, in paragraph 111, he writes, The most wonderful fruit of silence of the mind is this, that sins which start merely as thoughts knocking at the door of the mind and would, if accepted by the mind, become coarse, visible sins, are all cut off mentally in our inner man by the virtue of sobriety, which prevents them from coming in and becoming transformed into evil deeds by a movement of the hand and the intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we cut off the head of the serpent, as it were, by immediately cutting off any evil thoughts that would come upon us. That this is the great value of this kind of inner warfare, that we can see the thoughts coming upon us, that we can see the enemy's approach. And the more skilled that we become at this, we begin to prevent the rise of the visible sinful deeds, that we cut off the head of the enemy. So this brings us to the end of our episode. Uh, thank you once again for joining us here for City of Desert. If you have any questions or comments that you'd like to put to us, feel free to email and we'll seek to answer your questions either via email or in the next episode. Uh, have a good week and I'll see you soon.